Hey David, what was your first computer? And by the way, uh, David de la Bassi, is this pronounced right? That's very good. Very good or perfect? Very good. Okay, what is what would be the perfect pronunciation? De la Bassi. De la Bassi. Is French? Si. Si. Yes, that's French. French de la Bassi, yeah. Perfect. So what was your first computer? So my first computer was, uh, I think, like everybody from our generation, uh, Commodore 64. Not everybody. So there were ZX Spectrums, TRS-80, but something related to Spectrum or, or C64. Or Amigas. It, I had a couple of Amigas as well. Yeah, but that was after. That was not the first one. So I had a 64, then a, a Commodore 128, and I mm -hmm. moved to the Amiga. So now I'm curious. You start immediately coding, or what was your first time with your C64? Well, uh, I started, honestly, playing games sure. back then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that uh, intrigued me, and uh, I wanted to understand how things work uh, behind, under the hood. So I started trying to code first, and okay. then coding. First. So, and what was your? Do you remember your first game? No, I don't remember. Uh, the, the, no, I mean it's so long. Uh, I play a lot of games, and I'm still playing games, in fact. So, yeah. but I don't remember which one it was, the first one. So the very first one I remember, my was something about pirates. I forgot the title, Treasure Island or something like this. But uh, and uh, yeah, and the others I, I remember now. Right now, uh, more and more games from back then. Um, yeah, and maybe they become relevant again with you know with the Raspberry Pi movement. Yeah, well, yeah, but yeah, I'm not. We can discuss about that emulation versus a real. Uh, well, running the hardware on an FPGA, for example. Yeah. I have no idea about that, but uh, so we shouldn't discuss this. So more interesting. So you started playing, and then yeah. you you said you would like to attempt coding. Well, I wanted to understand how things works under the hood. So uh, so basically, well, playing a game is nice, but uh, I wanted to. Well, to me, it was easy. Well, it should be easy to do such a thing. So I started to pick under the hood, and boy, it was not that easy. Exactly. And but, which yeah, programming that's... language you use? Basic. Yeah, basic. Yeah, back then, basic, and then uh, well, not not. Not immediately, but I, I had to look at Assembler also. Yeah, of course. But um, what's what made me curious, so you saw the game, and yeah. then you, you attempted to change something. So how you did it? I mean, in, I mean, how you learned basic or what was, you know, because the, the game runs, and then yeah. if you try to change it, do something. So was your motivation to create a new game or change the existing one or what you did, you know, the very first line of code or, you know, the couple of days with basic, what happens? What was your, your approach, you know? So, so, so my idea was I wanted to make, to make games too. Okay. And uh, I don't know if you remember uh, back then, but uh, we had a magazine, print magazine, where mm -hmm. you had listings of games. Yeah, of course. And you spend hours to type the games. Yeah. And then you hit runs, and it don't, it doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever worked in your case? Uh, yes. Yes. In my case, I mean, no. I didn't manage to to do it. I, I mean, I tried a couple of times, and 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 it never worked. Yeah, that's the problem. But that's the beauty of typed language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, not be able to type. You know, uh, to 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 prevent errors during typing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There, there were yeah. no IDEs basically. So there was the, no. not even terminal. So you could. Uh, I, I mean, the operating system was the programming language in my case, right? In your as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what was the first successful thing you did? Hello World was not. I, I didn't knew about Hello World back then. I would say the first thing that uh, works and was used was a pretty basic uh, application that I did for my dad. Ah, what was it? But pretty basic. So uh, it was playing, uh, I don't know how we say that, but you know, uh, horse races. Okay. So basically I was tracking, I was tracking for him some statistics. But, but this honestly, is, honestly. This is, this with, is great. How, how old were you back then? Oh, I, I don't remember. I'm still I'm still young, so yeah, still young. So I mean, you, now you're 16, <laughs> so worry about 12 or what was it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, but honestly, uh, if you look back, uh, I mean, it, it was super interesting because I, I learned a lot of things. Uh, mm -hmm. But it would have been more pragmatic to do uh, what I did using a computer by hand. But obviously, uh, that would mean that I wouldn't have the chance to learn everything that well, learn everything that I learned doing those kind of pretty basic application. Yeah, but it's almost always the case, right? You could always yep. uh, download something which works kind of, or, but if you create it from scratch, you learn more, and in one point of time, even, it could work better than, you know, the uh, the generic thing. Yeah, or it's like when you when you have to do a task, uh, you have the choice. Either you do it manually or you create a script. Exactly. Obviously, if you have to do the task once, maybe the script would be uh, too expensive. But when you start to script things, well, that's something that you can leverage uh, later on. And you can also learn more by doing that. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but the uh, horse management, uh, horse game management, how do you call it? Horse race management game uh, software. Um, it well, sounds or, or, horse horse management sounds already uh, very uh, fancy. 
I would say, uh, basic horse statistics applications, okay. something but, like uh, that. Were you able to save the state? Uh, yes. How you did it? You remember that? Well, Be yeah. Wait, wait, wait. There's two things: save the states and recover the states. Okay. You were <laughs> so just, I, wa yeah. I was able to save the states. Yeah. But recovering wasn't was something else. So. Okay. So this was a eventual consistency. You recovered it. Co <laughs> you save it consistently, but in yeah. one point of time, you would be able to recover that. Right. This is the base. Yeah. So the workaround back then was basically to hard code the data into the code. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I also, I think in, in Turbo Pascal, I was able to save. In, in BASIC was hard, or I don't, don't even remember. It was impossible. I was always, you know, curious how to do that because you had to use the tape, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that was the main issue. I mean, the, the physical media was, well, you, you could save on tape, but that was, I, I mean, yeah, that was very difficult. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we had access to a floppy disk, uh, then the whole, the whole world changed. We were able to easily uh, save a state that we can recover uh, later on. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you, you, your first, your first thing you created was the uh, basic horse statistics, or with something before, you know? No, before I did a few very well, some basic games, uh, Hangman, those kind of things. Then I wow. put some graphics on top of that, and but nothing very fancy. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not the the goal was not really to play a game. It was really to understand how you can write a game, how you can write an application. When you understood pick and pokes, you remember? Yeah, when um, after not a while, re not, not really, but uh, it was really the it was really the the gateway to a lot of things. Yeah, pick, pick and poke on the well, for people who are listening to us, if they don't know what pick and poke is, uh, they won't understand. But it was really the the gateway to have uh, access to the internal of the machines. But, uh, Graal VM could provide such a thing again, right? Actually, well, sure. <laughs> we, have, we, we have to we have to ask you know the Graal VM engineers whether the pick and poke would be possible yeah. or or doable or not uh, the Graal, you know the new GNI uh, gateway. I was oh, called uh, yeah, Panama. Yeah, you mean you mean Panama? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The foreign memory access API. Th this would be actually a great question to our Panama engineers. Now, what about pick and pokes? Uh, uh, okay, um, I was not that lucky. In my in my magazines, there were only the numbers without explaining what it is. Oh, yeah. And for me, it was like I I. It was crazy because I tried you know, for loops to try to find out what it does. And I, and I knew that it reads something and writes something. For me, it was always the question, how to know what happens if you, if you put a number? Why someone else is so smart and is able to know to think about a number and it works? Because with pick and pokes, you could cheat, right? So if you knew the yeah, poke, I think, or the pick, pick then you could have endless, endless life in a game, for instance. Yeah, but I think one of the chances you had in Germany is that, so so if we look back then, uh, we didn't have an internet. So basically mm -hmm. accessing information was uh, very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, the th I think that the chance that you had in Germany is that you had a lot of magazines and a lot of books uh, written for Commodore 64 and so on, which was not really true uh, for me. I mean, if you look at the French speaking side, there were very few uh, books back then mm -hmm. on, for example, uh, programming on the C64. Uh, for me, so, it was worse because I had it set Spectrum and all the magazines were about C64 and uh, Amiga. Actually, there was almost nothing about Spectrum. And the worst thing is I got the ZX Spectrum with, with the actual manual in French. I don't know why. <laughs> and I don't understand French. So what I un only understood some kind is the basic code inside the manual. So I, I try not to, to write it down and, and see what happens. So I, we were in very similar situation, I would say. right? So are, are you saying that you were one of the five people in Germany to have a Spectrum? I think so. I got this. Uh, that was the 128k Amstrad, and I don't know why I got it. My my dad bought me this, and uh, and I just got it, and I was delighted. Uh, but uh, C64 was the thing, right? So it had better graphics. Yeah. Everything was yeah. better, and this was a dream machine for me. But yeah, but I really enjoyed it at the time, so it was nice. Yeah, yeah. So you st uh, this is amazing. So you learned from the magazines, basically, right? Okay, this is understandable. Um, okay, so after the um, horse manage basic horse uh, statistics uh, software, what happened then? When you left, you know, basic and started with something else, with assembler or no? So, so I so after the Commodore period, I went to the Amiga period. Five hundred Amiga five hundred. Yes, five hundred, and my brother had uh, a two thousand. Okay. Yeah. So I was very well at the end. I, I use I was using his uh, Amiga more than he was using. Uh, is mm -hmm. Amiga, uh, but at that time I was mostly playing games. I was mm -hmm. not really into programming uh, onto the Amiga because it was well, it was uh, purely back then assembler and uh, well, mm -hmm. I really didn't have, well. I was not really uh, interested anymore in uh, understanding how, understanding how things work because many of the lack of information. 
Mm-hmm. Amiga was what I remember was like machine from a no different planet. So the graphics were just yep. incredible for me back then. I yep. remember and the sound as well. So it's for me it was like a, the new ZX Spectrum, and you look at Amiga, or uh, I think the Atari ST something was similar. This was the competitor also. So the two machines was incredible actually. Yeah, yeah. The Atari ST was the competitor, but uh, it was lower in terms of. Uh, graphics quality uh it was better in the in the sounds department i mean a lot of uh, musicians were using uh atari st okay. with midi support okay yeah. okay so what you played with uh, amiga nothing interesting happened i would say what happened after your no after, gaming af- so break? after that i moved to the pc okay and it's where things really started so i started to program i think uh it was uh, pascal turbo pascal uh delphi why why uh, that as so way you started coding again and which what pc was it was it uh, 286 or 3 yeah four? i don't remember i had a bunch of of uh, pc clone okay uh, i don't remember oh wait no i remember the first pc that we had at home was uh, you know on the amiga 2000 you can have um, a car that you slide in it was an xt oh. it was a very basic 100 and uh, 186 uh, PC basically on a board that you put uh, into the Amiga 2000. I didn't knew that. So, and yeah. you could somehow put PC inside Amiga? Yeah. It, well, it was really a PC uh, on a board that you put into your Amiga. So, and you yeah. could switch at the beginning between Amiga or PC or how? No, I uh, I don't remember how it was working. Uh, I think that you were uh, into the Amiga operating system and then you could access uh, the PC. On okay. yours, on your inside board. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So it's almost like Apple M1, 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 you know, right now. So they have a Rosetta and I mean, almost, or back then, you know, they were two systems in, inside of one. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. And why you started programming back then again and not playing? Why I started programming back then? Well, uh, things were a little bit easier. I mean, using high level language such as uh, Turbo Pascal, for example, you can get to the end point more easily. And also, as we mentioned uh, on the Commodore 64, uh, saving the state was a nightmare. Uh, then we had floppy disk, we had hard disk. I had my first hard disk on the Amiga, which was, I think, a 47 megabyte hard disk. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, a video recorder. It was a big box. Mm-hmm. But on the PC, when, when, when we moved to the PC, obviously, we had uh, access to hard disk. Uh, so basically, things were uh, more approachable. We, are, we also had access to more and more information on how things were, were working. So uh, that's really started me to uh, willing to start to programming, but uh, more seriously. And, and what, you would, what was your motivation? What you would like to achieve or what you would like to program? Game again or? What? No. I, I, so since uh, my uh, childhood, I was always into computers, video games and so on. So I wanted to work within that space. It was really the thing that was interesting me the most. So that's why, that's why I wanted to, uh, to program, to cr- just to create programs. It doesn't really matter if it was a game or uh, an enterprise application or any kind of application. I, want, I wanted to program. At the end of the day, I wanted to make it that my full-time job. Perfect. And and were you interested more in the machines? I mean, I was fascinated by the hardware as well. So I really liked the hardware, you know, playing with the thing and how it looks and how it felt. Uh, or uh, were you purely interested in programming or was it both? Uh, I think it, were, it was both because back then... Uh, on the well, if you look at the PC back then, you basically had to either b- build uh, off-the-shelf PC, but most of us were just uh, you know assembling a PC. So we had a case, we bought a motherboard from that shop, and mm-hmm. a video card from another shop, and we uh, we leveraged an old uh, hard disk that we already had. And so yeah, the, the hardware uh, play a big role back then. But mm-hmm. I, I think that if I look back, uh, it was always uh, the more the, the software side that was uh, interesting me the most. But you had to understand how things works uh, otherwise wise uh, back then. Okay. So what was your first interesting st- you know, program or software you've written on uh, on the PC? You remember that? I don't really me- remember which which one was the first one. I do remember that I wrote a very stupid application during my, my, yeah. st- my study and uh, my teacher was amazed. Hey, uh, it- your study, uh, you studied computer science? Yes. So it yes. was always clear to you that you would like to st- study computer science. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so that 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 pretty stupid application was uh, was it? It was basically a, a person uh, vectorized that was walking. Wow. Yeah, but it was pretty stupid. No, I mean, it was stupid, but this is crazy. I mean, even now, if we would like to do this, let's say in Java, you will probably do a. Mo- 
spend more than one day with it, right? Right now. I don't know, but but yeah, I spent I spent quite some time. I don't remember how much time I spent, but yes, I spent some time. Uh, and also during my study, something that I started with a friend was uh, a BBS. Could, uh, could you remote control the person, or was it just like a demo? No. You know, like it, a, like a it, screensaver. It was just crossing the the screen. Okay, and this was in, in which programming language? Uh, it was in Turbo Pascal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to go back to my study, uh, I started with a French so BBS, a built-in board systems. Okay. Uh, so I was also very interested in uh, basically being able to connect a computer. You mm -hmm. know, back then it was where we were using phone lines. I mean, analog phone lines. So it was um, well. I was always amazed by the fact that you you take the handset, uh, you put it on a on a on a physical modem back then, and somehow you were able to control remotely a computer. That, yeah, that that was magic to me. Well, you know, remember the movie War Games, of course, right? Yeah, I think that 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 had some influence on me. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I skipped this. But I started uh, with the US robotics modems, actually. I never had the chance, you know, the, I think it's called acoustic coupler or coupling or yeah. something, you know, there was like an uh, additional device where you can reuse the earphones or how to call it. And um, yeah. That's set, yeah, but the, the, but the, 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 the baud rate, I mean, with acoustic hand, uh, coupler was uh, very low. Yeah. So so the, the speed, the latency, uh, obviously you had to go through audio signals. So that, I mean, that was magic, but that was uh, super inefficient. Yeah, and uh, but but I remember also the sound. You know, the sound of yeah. the modems uh, was very similar to the sound of ZX Spectrum loading. You know, from the tape. Yeah, so yeah that this... that was basically the same concept. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the funny thing is that uh, so yeah, so we switched at some point to a modem. So no more. Well, you are plugging directly the phone lines to uh, to the modem. Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, we had uh, US robotics, but we also had Zixel modem. Uh, we had a bunch of modems, mm -hmm. and all of that was in my uh, bedroom. Okay. So that was super noisy. I, so I wasn't there during the week. So I only stayed uh, there during the weekend. And I, well, most of the time I, w I was not sleeping in my room. Okay. Uh, but I was able at some point in time. Uh, so when, some, when someone was calling, I was able to hear from the, the tone. So the, mm -hmm. the, the, the negotiation tone. Mm -hmm. Okay, th this guy is calling in uh, 9,600 9, boats, for example. Mm -hmm. So I was able to, you know, to just by hearing the sounds, know exactly so, what type of modem we had on the other side of the connection. This was I not able, but what I was able to hear whether the connection is going to be successful or not. So because at the beginning, you can tell whether it repeats or not and whether it is going to be successful or not. This is what I remember. And on the ZX Spectrum, I was able to hear what what is loaded because it was a you know, sound pattern. So you could recognize yeah. like a song. So you could tell which game or software was loaded, actually. But with modem, I was not that great with recognizing what's going on. Mm. Um, Okay, great. So, um, what was the next, you know, uh, software you wrote uh, during your study? So, or or when you, you know stopped using Turbo Pascal and started with something else? So, uh, in my study, I also wrote a terminal application. Okay. Uh, well, again, th this is back to uh, okay. I was amazed by modem, so I wanted to understand how things works. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we had uh, AT commands to control modem. Mm -hmm. So you send a AT and then a command to the modem. So you open a, a serial connection to the, sorry, you open a connection through the serial ports and you connect to the modem and then you can send a command to the modem. Mm -hmm. So when I discovered that, I wrote uh, a terminal application. Okay. And what do you uh, do with, with it? So co uh, to communicate with others, right? Or Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th right. That's typically the application that you would use to connect to a BBS. Okay. And uh, were you able to share it or was it just for you or? Uh, yeah. We sh so it was shared, but I mean... Uh, I'm pretty sure that there were not a lot of users. Well, we I didn't have a lot of users mm -hmm. because I okay. mean, uh, well, it's not like uh, uh, so today. If you have an application, well, you create a GitHub repo, then you uh, you provide builds, and everybody can uh, leverage it. Can easily find that application through Google, and then if it's good, people will download it and start to use it. Mm -hmm. Back yeah. then, it was not really like that, you know. Yeah, I, I thought you know at the university there was some you know, folder where you can put the software and the other would pick up something like this. Yeah, but yeah, but that, that what I mean, only people from the university yeah. basically and possibly a few friends would use that application. Yeah, yeah, it's so good enough. I mean, yeah. And um, so what 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 was the next steps? So um, and you, by the way, you enjoyed the university or you uh, you, you try to know to learn as, as fast as possible and do the real thing afterwards. So what was your relation to university? It's hard to say. Uh, I think what I 
what I learned during my studies, basically, uh, I learned how to learn. Because yeah. a lot of the things that I learned back then are not relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I, for example, I use VAX VMS. Okay. Uh, I mean, well, I haven't touched a VAX, VMX, VAX VMS since, uh, I don't know, uh, 30 years. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so a lot of the things that uh, I learned uh, are not really relevant anymore. But what I learned during my studies, basically, uh, I need to be able to learn things. And enjoy learning. Probably right. Well, yes, you are. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Because yeah. if you don't enjoy enjoy learning, you won't learn. Exactly. And basically, you are stuck. Okay, perfect. So, um, anything else you did, you know, at the university with programming, interesting software like you know, working people on the screens or other programming languages you learned at the university? I don't remember, uh, but I have an anecdote. So I spent a few weeks. Uh, so during my study, I spent a few weeks uh, in uh, in uh, England uh, near Liverpool in a bank. That was part of the curriculum you had okay. to work. And uh, so uh, I wrote uh, documents about. Uh, so I was in the telecommunication department. So I wrote documents and uh, and well, I wasn't sure if people were reading what I was writing. Mm -hmm. So at some point in time, in one of the documents, I talk about resiliency of, of uh, communication between different sides of the banks. And I put uh, something like, okay, we need to have a fail-safe systems. And basically, I, I introduced the idea that uh, if, if everything breaks, uh, we need a fail-safe system that's, that is based on pigeon. So uh, you, from one building, you just uh, let a, a pigeon fly to the other building. So you still have the ability to send information. Okay. I, put that, I put that as a joke. And well, nobody really reacted. Everybody told me, okay, this is a great document, but nobody, mm -hmm. nobody really reacted on that pigeon jokes. So I'm not sure if they really read what I wrote. This is incredible. I did exactly the same in a commercial project. It was, <laughs> uh, and this was like transportation system, a huge one. And I was in charge of writing the document and I had the suspicion no one would read it. <laughs> and uh, what I did is, I found a chapter from Perry Roden science fiction and there was, you know, and this was no chapter, but I, I think only one side, I put only one page from, from this uh, novel, science fiction novel. And I remember there were UFOs involved, you know, and astronauts had nothing to do with transportation system. And this document was reviewed a couple of times and it passed, you know, all the gateways, everything was, uh, was, uh, successful. And then my project lead, you know, and, uh, I told them afterwards, look, um, this, what I did was waste of time. And I said, okay, you can do this. You cannot do this. And the next time what I proposed is because we had to write the documents because there was, uh, you know, uh, they were required in order to pass the, or to put the software in production. So what I did, I found the best software ever. It was called rational rose back then. And my proposal was to generate the entire documentation as much as possible with little effort. And then we will write to ourselves, just you know, 10 pager, what is all about, what the conventions are, transaction behavior and so forth. And uh, then he said, okay, this sounds reasonable. So I saved, you know, a couple of weeks without not, not being, you know, forced to write, you know, documentation when no one's read. So this is amazing that you did exactly the same what I did. You know, yeah. but for me, it was I was too, too, too lazy with pigeons. I just copy and pasted a, a science fiction novel to the document, and it was a huge one, and no one recognized actually. And I didn't suggest to use rational rules. <laughs> yeah, this was the improvement afterwards because uh, I proved you know no one reads it anyway. So if we generate the entire documentation from the source code, we have the documentation who no one reads without any effort, and then we we'll write for ourselves the ten page, a very short, which is supposed to be to be to be read yeah. by the developers. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So, but this is that we do the same. This, you are the first, actually, who did something similar. So um, this was actually a nice hack for me. So I was really proud of that back then. <laughs> but this was already late, 2004 or something like this, what I, when I did it. So, um, and I found the documentation recently, actually. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, perfect. So um, after university, so you started working for which company? What you did afterwards? So uh, right after my study, I, I joined a small company, a software development company um, uh, in Brussels. Um, that company was working in a very specific uh, niche market. Uh, one of the things that I worked on was, uh, you know, when you transport in Europe a chemical product, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, truck with chemical product, uh, you need to have a document that uh, with, with, the, with, the, well, with the chemical product to basically mm -hmm. explain, okay. Um, if, or not. Or, yeah. Yes. It's called a safety data sheet. Mm -hmm. So what to do in case of an issue. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I what I did for that, I wrote a very basic word processor to um, well to to write those mm-hmm. uh, safety data sheets. Okay, in which programming language? Uh, it was on C on Windows. And you learned C then, or you knew C before? No, I learned C at uh, during my during my studies. Okay, and uh, and what happened then? Was it successful? You enjoyed C or? I, yeah, I would say I enjoy C. Obviously, it was it was way more difficult. I mean, it was yeah. it, it was easy in C to introduce bugs. Yeah, uh, and you, be... uh, you, was it on Windows? Yes, yes. So you had to use the MFC, I think, classes, whatever, right? The uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Microsoft Foundation. Sh- yeah, but I'm not sure it was already called MFC back then. It was on okay. Windows three one. Okay, so I'm not sure it was MFC. I don't so remember. you moved in one point of time to C plus plus, or you stayed with C? Uh, I did a little bit of C++, but uh, never wrote anything uh, that went into production uh, with C++. Okay. So what yeah. happens after the company? So you switch the companies to learn C++ or Java? No. So so I spent four years at that company. So uh, I also wrote... Uh, so those applications were mostly uh, client-server applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I also wrote a bit of uh, backend for uh, those applications. So it mm-hmm. was, again, C, but back then it was on Motorola Unix. Okay. Uh, Motorola Zoom. Unix, interesting. Yep. Okay, yep. on the sixty on sixty eight K CPU. And which, uh, which machine was it? Apple or was it? Uh, no, was it was it... A Motorola servers, Motorola hardware servers. Yeah, so, did they were called Motorola servers? They were called Motorola something. Yeah, I don't remember. But Crazy, yeah. I never 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 heard about that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Using a Rima database. How is called the database? Rima. Rima. Yes, Rima. It was well. I was told that it was very popular popular back then, but well, I'm sure okay. they lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, I spent four years there, uh, and it's uh, it's there, in fact, uh, that I discovered Java. Huh. Uh, applets. I remember. I still remember the first time that I saw uh, that applet with uh, with Duke uh, waving in the browser. Mm-hmm. That was well. That was that was big. Uh, something that we did there was also we were looking at. Um, uh, well, given that we so that company had a lot of customers across mainly Europe, mm-hmm. uh, we looked basically at how to uh, to talk to those customers. So uh, it was before the web. So we look at different options, such as uh, one of them was you know th- there is a teletext. Yeah, it's called Minitel in France, and there has been a, an evolution of that, which was called I think MMI. It was basically a a specification, a standard specification, uh, multimedia something interface. So it was a super enhanced version of Teletext where you could have, you could have graphics and so on. And it was backed by uh, Telco, such as France Telecom. Mm-hmm. In Germany, so, we had something similar. I think it was called BTX in Germany. So, but uh, you had, if you bought, uh, for instance, the um, if you um, if I downloaded the software for the modem to for US Robotics, it was yep. from from General Telecom. I always got you know two options: go to the internet or uh, or invoke the BTX, these the teletext. So yep. I can you can look up you know the bank account whatever with the yep. teletext, or I can switch to the internet if I remember. Mm-hmm. But uh, MMI was really the well the next version of that. So uh, BTX uh, teletext and so on uh, is basically text based. Mm-hmm. Uh, MMI was really graphic based. Uh, we had more inter- more interaction capabilities and so on. So I spent a bit of time working on that. And uh, while looking at that, I discover uh, the web. So we wrote a, f- a few uh, webs. Well, website, yes, but using plain HTML. Then we look at mm-hmm. CGI, mm-hmm. and then uh, in one of those investigations, I found out about Applet. It was I don't know early '96, maybe end of '95. Okay. So it was really the beginning. Okay. And you did something with the applets, or no? Okay, I, I was just amazed. <laughs> you were no, amazed, I, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, because uh, I sh- right after. Well, I don't know, but a few weeks, maybe months after that, I left that company. Okay. So, so I joined uh, the national uh, telecom operator in Belgium, uh, Belgacom, oh. back then. Okay. Yeah. To work on what we call the IP appliances. So the first one was. Um, a web phone. So uh, you just take an iPhone, basically, and you put that, uh, well, 20 years ago, uh, into a, f- a fixed phone. Okay. So a full-fledged fixed phone with with a handset, with a keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't know, it was around 97, maybe, something like that. Um, and that phone was running Java, uh, personal Java back then. Okay. 
So I don't know if you know about Personal Java. This was the predecessor of the uh, J2ME. So it was the yeah. very beginnings. There was, all, it was uh, yeah, yeah, it was really the beginning. Yeah, there was personal Java, and uh, I think before Java, it was called professional Java or something. There was, you know, this attempt to do the Java on the server, or something. But the yep. ex yep. ex exactly, uh -huh. yeah. So personal Java was before uh, G2ME. Uh, that ma well, that that um, that web phone uh, was using a per PC CPU. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it was super interesting, but uh, it was really the early days of trying to run. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, first of all, it was the early days of Java. That's one mm -hmm. thing. And then uh, trying to run uh, Java in in the embedded world was really a crazy idea at that time. Yeah, Be because so, well, for example, uh, to boot the phone, uh, I don't remember the f the figures, but uh, let's say that uh, the first time you had to boot the phone, it took like uh, fifteen minutes, mm -hmm. which is a lot. I mean, it's mm -hmm. okay because you you boot your phones uh, well. I don't know, uh, once in a month, if you don't have any uh, power shutdown. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we, uh, so one of the issue was obviously the CPU was quite limited, uh, but we increased the memory. So uh, I don't remember again the figures, but let's say that we went from uh, eight megabytes of RAM, eight megabytes, mm -hmm. so not gigabyte, obviously eight megabytes of RAM to mm -hmm. 16. And the boot time went down from, let's say, 15 to 12 minutes, those okay. kind of things. So we had, so, in a nutshell, back then it was really the early days of Java. Uh, running, trying to run Java into an embedded device was uh, really a challenge. So we are we were facing a lot of issue and a lot of uh, yeah technical difficulties. Okay, yeah, I was in a similar project, but in uh, in Volkswagen, which is a car uh, manufacturer, and um, I can talk about that because strangely they wanted that I talk about that. So I even had even had a conference uh, talk back then, and um, so I created a prototype with a team. And we did everything, you know, with layers, factories, everything we could replace because we're different cars with different layers and so forth. And it booted several minutes. And they say this is impossible. We cannot just you know, open the door and wait five minutes until mm -hmm. it's there. So um, so what we did then is it's very similar what, you know, uh, the uh, Micronode is doing and, and Quarkus is doing. So we then removed all the reflection and just, you know, hard-coded everything if we knew which configuration this is. So we generated a code yep. in advanced. And it sped up significantly everything. And then we hired some hackers in in Poland and what they did is they were able to load you know the memory from parts of the memory of the JVM because we I think the project was was based on Kafi Org in, in, I don't know whether you remember there was a JVM open source yep. JVM yep. from from Dalibor Topic actually he he worked on that back then he's also at Oracle and the, this was open source JVM and this was modified to run on this embedded device and the, at the end it worked quite well actually but it you know the modifications were serious back then. Yeah, and also the, the, the challenge is that basically, so you had a lot of limitations and it, it's easy to say, for example, in our case, okay, let's double the amount of RAM. But obviously, given that we were talking about a consumer device, uh, doubling the amount of RAM, even though we were we were going from 8 to 16, had a lot of uh, had a serious impact on, on the price of the end yeah. user price of the device. Mm -hmm. But such devices were common. So I remember I was at one of the Java ones, early 2000. I remember having phones on the desk with a Java logo on it. Yeah, so there were also a big screen. There, yeah. there was, I found such phones and I even did some uh, pictures, images back then. But uh, I saw such phones. Uh, um, it was not from Belgium, but there were other you know uh, manufacturers who created phones with embedded Java on it. So uh, probably from Alcatel, maybe or yeah. or Nortel. Nortel those were yes. What I remember, those, Nortel somehow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those were two. Those were the two manufacturers that were really uh, involved in that space. Mm -hmm. And yep. you enjoyed it, obviously, because, I mean... Yeah, I mean, uh, it was really an in innovative project and, uh, I mean, a lot of challenges. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it was uh, way less boring than writing a work processor on Windows uh, for uh, chemical safety data sheets. Yeah, uh, I would say now I would also enjoy it once, but then, you know, it's time to do something else, right? Because if you do it the first time, we see it could be, could be also a challenge, you know, for you. Yeah, like yeah, and and also working in the embedded world was uh, something really new uh, for me. And also uh, at that time, uh, well, the market was evolving to towards pushing more and more intelligence into the into device. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was uh, really exciting. And yeah, so we had the client side, but obviously they were the backend side to to manage the device. So yeah, a lot of well, yeah, I really enjoy my time there. What do you do at the backend? Also run Java? 
for the web phone, it was not Java. It was a C-based application. But another project that I worked there was, uh, it was called Cyber TV. So it was uh, a TV setup box, basically. Oh, okay. So uh, not, not, not Java on the client side, on the, on the setup box, but the backend was, um, was working, was using Java. Uh, you know, remember what? What was it? The backend? Yeah. In Java, which server or what? No, it was, well, that's funny because uh, that project, uh, we were working with a company that was called Navio. And Navio was a spin-off between uh, Netscape, okay. uh, I think Nintendo. Well, wow. I'm not sure. No, no, wait. I'm not sure about Nintendo. Uh, and Oracle. Okay. So, yeah. I remember visiting uh, the headquarters of uh, that company, and it was in Redwood Shores, a few miles I, away from. Yeah. This is what I never knew. I know that Netscape and Sun are now cooperating together. So, this was, uh, they had also the Suit Spot and all the servers back end. iPlanet, AOL, Alliance. Yeah. But iPlanet was named later. Uh, it started yep. with the name was Netscape Suit Spot Server, with, uh, where you can run actually JavaScript on the back end. This was the funny stuff, and then Java. <laughs> uh, why I'm asking you? Because I was also, um, my, my, my history was. Similar somehow, except I didn't enjoy the applets. So I, I really loved, you know, C And then I looked at the applets and I say, "You are all crazy. What's that?" And um, but someone told me, you know, who I respected, uh, Java is the next big thing. This is object-oriented thing. And I downloaded the Oak something, yeah. and then it became Java. So I was lucky and then enjoyed that actually. But um, but, but so, uh, so if, if I can make a comment, what amazed me about Java uh, in the early days uh, was not really the fact that it was uh, object-oriented. I already had a background on the, on uh, OO, but uh, if you were developing in the 90s, uh, any application, and if you need a features, you had the choice. Either you, you write that feature by yourself, mm -hmm. or you buy a commercial third-party library that would provide that mm -hmm. capabilities. Mm -hmm. let's, take, let's take, for example, uh, FTP. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you want to have FTP support in your application, you had to either implement the FTP protocol by yourself, or you had to rely and buy uh, an FTP uh, library uh, mm -hmm. from the market. In Java, you had a lot of, uh, from the beginning, you had a lot of capabilities built in into the platform, in the core libraries. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to uh, go on the market and buy these capabilities, these capabilities, these capabilities to write your application. So yeah. that's, that's one of the things that really amazed me back then. So, but, but, but for me, it was, I started, I had a Windows machine, but yeah. uh, the C++ compilers were too expensive. So yeah. uh, what I found out, there is a Linux with free C++, GCC and G++, what I remember. So I used Linux for that. And on Linux, there was, I think, STL. So the libraries were there, right? If you used open source GNU, I, I had everything I, I needed, but uh, no one else had Linux. So what I did was just for fun. But there was no commercial, you know, in one project, actually, it uh, I used, uh, I cross-compiled Linux to Unix. It wasn't, uh, we, actually, uh, my job was to write kind of compressor for C++, uh, Pro C++ for Oracle. So there's like, you know, uh, Pro C, I think is a preprocessor for the database or whatever. So this was one of my first commercial jobs with C. So I did it on Linux and hoped that it will compile on, on Unix. And so for me, J Java was what I never got, you know, the the uh, platform independence because for me I was like yeah but how it ca can run everywhere and if you just install Java everywhere the, the software is like cheating you know yeah of course if I install Java then it will run there so for me it was at the beginning how to understand what's the deal but then I really enjoyed that and and I learned Java because uh, someone convinced me I have to do it or, or I respect okay then do Java and forget about C++ and then I got the first job on the server and I owned a new Java, so I was afraid to use C++ or CGI, for instance, with PHP. I had no idea about PHP. So um, I started with the Java web server from Sun. Yeah. And this was the first servlet engine available on the market. And it came out, uh, I don't know, uh, it was really Sylvester 2001 or whatever, so created on 1999. And I waited until it's released and then bought that. And uh, this was my the only chance to deliver because I had no idea about other server-side programming. So I, I hoped you you also used you know, Java Web Server back then. Yeah, but but to go back on, my, on one of your comment where you said that uh, Java was cheating because we had to install uh, something yeah. to uh, make it uh, run anywhere. Yes, that's true, but at the end as a developer, you still uh, compile your bytecode once, yeah. And with a C C C based application, you had to uh, compile that for let's say Windows, uh, Unix, and so on. So you had to produce multiple. You had to target uh, yeah. multiple uh, platform from the beginning. But, but back then the problem is in my. 
projects, in the early commercial Java projects, we had to install everything, right? So we couldn't just yeah. compile and deliver the bytecode. We were the DevOps and DevSecOps. This was the normal thing that you were in charge of the server and 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 the program. So uh, I had to install the, the Java first on the machine with with yeah. or tell someone what to do and then install my machine and then cross compile. So for me it was okay, but uh, but uh, yeah, I got it immediately. Uh, immediately after a few weeks, I knew it. But I remember the first thing is you now the portability. Why and and this is like cheating. First impression, yeah. what I oh, no, what I didn't like at all were the interfaces in Java. So uh, I had the header files and the interface that didn't make any sense for me in Java. Oh, but yeah, then yeah. I got, if I reviewed, you know, the GDBC driver, how this works. So, okay, this makes perfect sense. Yeah. But just interface, like, why that? Why, what problem does it solve? Okay, nice. So uh, what happens afterwards? Um, so you, you create, was the, the phone somehow successful or at least functional? Please define successful. <laughs> uh, it, it, you, you, you could, uh, uh, they were sold. To yeah, people, and someone bought it. So yeah, well, uh, yeah. Technically, so, so some people bought it. It was it was sold, uh, but not in Belgium, in France. Okay, uh, and you had you have still one? I still have a few. Yes. Ah, cool. This was this was uh, exactly. So you could uh, start, you know, to. It's always nice to to look at the 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 old hardware and how yeah. it looks compared to today's hardware, right? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing the the evolution. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. So um, so I worked, as I said, on the on that uh, on that TV stuff, uh, and then I moved to Sun. So I spent I think four years uh, working at Belgacom, so the national telco. Mm -hmm. uh, I, given that we were working a lot uh, with Java, we had a lot of interaction back then with the JavaSoft people, uh -huh. and, and that's basically how I uh, well first I like I started to really like that Java things, mm -hmm. and um, uh, well so I wanted to. Uh, to work more uh, with Java, and yeah, that's how I started, and I, that's how I joined uh, Sun. Yeah. Okay, when was it? Roughly 2000, 2001? Yes, uh, yeah, I would say 2000, something like that. Okay, interesting. So, um, by the way, do you re remember the Java Developer Connection JDC? Yeah, and Duke Duke Dollars. Uh, Duke Dollars. No. So if you uh, if you participated in the forum or you downloaded something, you you could earn Duke Dollars. And I had a lot of them, but I don't, not sure what what you could do with it. But uh, I had I, I was very proud of the Duke dollars back then and J, JDC Java Developer yeah. Connection and JavaSoft obviously. Um, they were in exactly so you can even find the page on Internet Archives and it is redirected now. I don't know whether this or I tried several times. It was redirected to Sun and now to Oracle and then to Java.Oracle. Let's, let's see whether it still works working. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, and, and so and when I was still at, uh, working at uh, at Belgacom, so uh, ninety six to early two thousand, uh, every year I went to uh, well, not every year. Uh, I think from ninety seven I went to Java One. Okay, I was the first in... one was big or was small? The very first one. You remember the very uh, first one? I didn't go to the first one. So to the very first Java One, I didn't go to that one uh, because I was not uh, already working in that company. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so I had the chance to uh, attend every Java one then. Um, yeah, so another reason why I wanted to be more involved within that Java ecosystem. I mean, uh, it was really the, the boom of the whole Java space uh, yeah. on, on the embedded side, but also on the server side. It was uh, really the beginning of everything. Mm -hmm. And what you did at Sun, what is your job? So um, I had two jobs. So uh, I was uh, what we call the pre-sales so uh, i was in the field basically to uh, explain a product so do a poc a demonstration uh, and so on okay. and so on and another side job that uh, i had so there were there, there was an, an international uh, sorry an international groups called the java ambassadors mm -hmm. so it was a, a group within sun uh, folks from all around the world and we were gathering a few times a year uh, in uh, california where we were discussing uh, java and our goal was our our charter was to uh, do evangelism uh, for Java. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's basically how, how I started that whole. So we were called Java Ambassador, but uh, we were basically evangelists. And those days, if we still had such a group, we were call, called them uh, DevRel. Mm -hmm. So that was my initial, um, I would say. Uh, contact with that whole DevRel and uh, developer space. So. So at Sun, I spend a lot of time to focus uh, on on developers, uh, mostly okay. Java developers, but also a bit because Sun had uh, native tools. So I was also involved a little bit on that side of the house. Was it mostly Java or mostly Java, but also the C and C plus plus, and also Fortran uh, tools. But I yeah, I would say that uh, 
on the developer tool side, it was like, uh, I don't know, 80% Java and the rest, 20% the rest was the native tools. And how long you spent with that at Sun? So you had different roles or you just, this was yeah, the entire... So, yeah, no, so I, I stayed 10 years at Sun. Uh, so I stayed in the field, I don't know, for six years. No, sorry, no, uh, let's see. No, in fact, at Sun, I spent my whole career in, in, in the field, uh, but always with that uh, double hat. So uh, pre-sales, but also Java ambassadors. Okay. But you became Java E ambassador one time as well, right? Or Java E evangelist or something. Yeah, but uh, that was not at Sun. That was when I when we joined Oracle. So uh, okay, around 2010, uh, Oracle acquired Sun. Uh, I spent maybe so I keep I kept my uh, field role for I don't know one or two years. Then I moved to the Java E uh, Glassfish organization. Ah, when was it roughly? I would say. Uh, 2012, something like because that. Because I think this is the where I the first time met you, and um, I was like, "Who are you?" Because I never saw you before. Or we never met actually, right? So this was at the time at Oracle. We we met the first time, and I thought you are an Oracle employee. Became interested, you know, in Java E or something, and we had the first chats about. Or I watched your sessions at the conferences. So this is our first we were in touch. I think I don't believe we met at some times, right? I think I remember you from a Java One session. Well, I was in one of your session or a boss. Okay. But don't okay. tell me when. And it was about Java E or Glassfish for sure. But uh, don't, okay, ask, me, don't okay. ask me any more details. So the uh, the the Java one, I have to say, I was deeply impressed by Java ones. There were very special conferences actually, with a special spirit. And uh, you know, the Sun people were. This is why it reminds in memory. They were how to call it a little bit crazier or or yeah or in, more inspiring than the conventional conferences where you just have you know. You remember the keynotes, you know, yep, yep. with Scott McNeely, <clears throat> John Gage. They were, and and there was always you no know, crazy things happens, new ideas, new theories, which not always work. But you know, this this was the inspiring. So I I always wanted to go to Java One, and this is one of the few conferences where I spent the entire week. So all other conferences I came and go, go but Java One for me, and I attended all the sessions, twelve hours a day. And this was the thing, like a marathon, you know? Yeah, but there is a big difference. I agree with you that it was very inspiring. A uh, lot yeah. of new things, a lot of new ideas and so on. But there is a major difference between uh, then and now. Now, uh, everything is open source. Yeah. So uh, back then it was easy to come with a surprise and let's say that, okay, we will do a Java for this or we'll have this new brand, uh, brand new Java API to tackle that space, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, an exec was coming on stage with a big announcement saying that, okay, we're going to invest uh, in that space. Mm -hmm. Those days, uh, it's not really like, well, we don't have that uh, that possibility anymore. Uh, obviously, uh, we say, okay, uh, we will invest, uh, for example, we'll work on Panama. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, well, all the works happen uh, openly on in, the, in the open, outside of the firewall. So it's, it's really hard to come with uh, such big surprise, you know? Yeah, but uh, I mean... It is not like, you know, all the developers have time to track all the open source repositories. And back then, Java was also kind of open source. So if you had time, you could actually find out or, you know, with contact with the employees, what Sun is working on. There were possibilities. But uh, what, for instance, what happened at Java One, let's say Panama or something like this is okay. Then I stop, you know, uh, investing my time in Panama before Java One. And then attend in one sessions, in one day, all the sessions about Panama from Oracle engineers. And then I can spend you know, my, 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 or plan my time more efficiently. You know what I mean? So even now, you cannot just, you know, watch the entire Java space. But if you are Java 1, you say, okay, what's new? So then one day Panama, one day you can very efficiently attend sessions by Oracle engineers. This was my, always my plan because yeah. they are building this stuff and just hearing them, what they are talking and how they are presenting this, you get the ideas why they did it, why it's that way. But if you listen to my talks, right, what, what I can just present is experience from the field. I have no idea what the engineer thought of by building that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and even if there is open source, I, I mean, the truth is that the core people do the most work everywhere. Yeah, right. I, it's I, not like the, the the entire Java community. There's always, you know, the there are key thinkers everywhere. It'll say, put Java aside in Linux is the same. There was, you know, a couple of people do the major major work, and everyone else or the, the you know the strategy. You cannot be, you know, you, you cannot have. You, you should have, or you have to have a kind of strategy or vision, you know. And yeah. this is presented 
best by people who create division. Yeah, no, I agree. But also one major difference between uh, now and, uh, and the early days of Java 1 is that now there are a lot more conference. Yeah. So yeah, basically yeah. all the information, all the news is spread through the year through multiple conferences, such as, uh, well, those days, well, those days outside of the pan pandemics, we have code ones, but we have Oracle Developer Live, uh, there's DevOps and so on. So th there, are, there's the FOSDEM, for example, for everything mm -hmm. which is OpenGDK. So there, there are multiple milestone in the year where basically uh, everybody is giving an update. So you, you have the ability to track more closely what is happening. So we don't have any more these uh, one time a year big, big conference where we give an update on everything. You know? But it, it, it could come back because, you know, um, let's say, let's say, Apple or Oracle, you know, you, you cannot just give the engineers time to travel the entire world all the time. But if you say, okay, this is the week, contribute in that week, and you, that could be more, you know, um, how to call it, more efficient for the company because then the, all the engineers do their work that week and then they don't attend conferences anymore because, you know, the time is more efficiently planned. This is why the WWDC is still strong because the, you know, iOS developers can ask the engineers uh, how to do special things. And I'm just thinking, this is why, because uh, if you have uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the information provided all the year is, is nice, but it is like, Less value than condensed, right? So I would. Yeah, yeah, but but so anyway, if you look at uh, Java today, I mean, uh, so there the, I think there are in terms of conference uh, four conference. Uh, there is uh, the big Oracle conference, Code One. Mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, DevOps in Belgium, yeah. where there is always some kind of update. Then there is FOSDEM uh, also mm -hmm. in Bel in Belgium, and then there's the GVM, the Java Language uh, Summit uh, mm -hmm. during the summer in California. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. those are the four milestone uh, yeah. conference for uh, Java slash OpenGDK. Yeah, still, still perfect. So I'm just telling you know that this have some value to have you no know, a, a a focused event. Yeah, having said that, there's also GFocus where there is always some kind of update as well. So yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. There are a lot of conference. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, so so you became then a Java uh, uh, evangelist or DevRel yes. at at Oracle. Yeah, uh, you you wanted to do this or. Was it your idea you know, to participate more in Glassfish or? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to keep my uh, developer-focused uh, role. So that's why okay. I moved to the Java EE organization. Uh, and also I was using Glassfish a lot. So it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense to uh, move to that organization. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you use it in field, in projects, Glassfish? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I spent a lot of time in the field with Glassfish. So it was just a continuation of uh, what I was already doing. And what was your impression back then from Java? So you liked that or, or not? So, I mean, you, you were DevRel, but you could still hate it, you know. So, but <laughs> what was your relation to Java back then? I, I Well, I liked it because back then we were around uh, the end of E6, uh, mm -hmm. so beginning yeah. of E7. So it was really the good days of Java. It was not uh, the GTE 1.3 or the GTE yeah. 1.4 where we had a lot of, well, we certainly had our shares of unneeded complexity. Yeah, um, I'm still doing, you know, uh, a lot of backend Java stuff. Actually, this is what I'm doing. And uh, thinking a lot about Java E and Jakarta E, whatever. And and the point is that you still need the APIs at the backend, you know. We can discuss yeah. w whether application servers or runtimes or uh, separation or not, fetch jars or not, but it didn't change a lot. This is the, um, even uh, recently I'm creating, you know, I, I have to deliver actually a front-end app, SPA offline, but uh, I need some backend. So I still used, you know, MicroProfile plus Jakarta E parts of that because it was the easiest possible and most productive thing and it runs in the cloud right now. So um, I always thought about this and I would say um, I, it is really hard to criticize because what I still enjoy the most in, in this thing is I have two APIs, you know, and MicroProfile in Jakarta E and I just start hacking and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and and whether the APIs, uh, I need all the APIs or not, I, I, I really don't care. But uh, it is very, very easy to start. And it's very, I mean, if you compare it to, 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 to other possibilities, it is, it is, it is, it is dream. It's a productivity dream, really. Yeah. So, um, mm -hmm. and, and this was, it, this is now, I also know because we had in Germany last year we had like we had like a survey like the uh, the popularity of Quarkus, Microprofile, and Jakarta E and Spring Boot. They were compared somehow. So uh, uh, and uh, it was two years ago. And and Spring Boot one uh, uh, Quarkus was somehow close. And Microprofile was lost than Quarkus. And and Jakarta E was less than Microprofile. But everyone was more or less popular. And I asked myself, what does it mean? Who runs Quarkus without MicroProfile? 
as a what they they use vertex behind the scenes and, and no standard API or you know even uh, no JaxOS, no JSONB, no JSONP, and there's no such as I, I never was in such a project. So you know such service don't make sense at all because you always need parts of Java E. Not yeah. everything, but parts is a very common. You know, JaxRS, JSONB, JSONP, add inject with the microprofile for torrents, you can get rid of EGBs, but it doesn't matter. You always need uh, parts of that. Otherwise, you spend a lot of time, you know, fiddling around. So uh, I, I agree. Yeah. And and, what... and, and and let's face it, uh, those days, uh, as soon as we write an application, there is always some uh, backend slash cloud connection. So yeah. you, you always need to, yeah, those, well, those core API to basically connect your application. Yeah, exactly. So this is what I still uh, still like Java is still micro profile and Jakarta or Java is uh, for me very similar. So um, okay. And uh, so and how long is uh, I think the last time we met you were still the Java evangelist. This was the, one of the last Java ones I think before it was renamed to Code One. I think I don't remember. But so how long I stay in that role? Uh, a few years. Then uh, well, basically until the so. Towards the end, I spent a lot of time behind the scenes to work on the E4J. Uh, so before it was public, I spent a lot of time on the transition huh. to, to Java E to the yeah. Eclipse Foundation. Even before it was decided that it would be the Eclipse Foundation. Okay, and was it a lot of time? Yeah. So you spent lots of time with that? Yeah, mm -hmm. so I worked mostly on Java E8, uh, Java E, sorry, Java E7, Java E8, and then the transition under the hood. And then I wanted to have a... How, how, can you tell us, or is it confidential somehow, how the process started? That that you know this the transition began or what? Well, yeah. Let's see. Uh, so w one of the complaints that we had uh, is that uh, Java E was not evolving uh, quickly enough, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which which was let's face it, uh, we it was it was true. Mm -hmm. uh, but another issue that we were facing is that Oracle was in was doing most of the work. Mm -hmm. If you look at uh, who was yeah. the spec lead for, for the different specification, yeah. well, it was, uh, I think we there were two specs led by Red Hat, one by IBM, that was the batch mm -hmm. API, and the rest was uh, was led by Oracle. Uh, so uh, we said, okay, uh, yeah, uh, maybe to, 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 to reboot that whole space, we need to change how things work. So that's basically what triggered the open sourcing of uh, the Java platform, mm -hmm. and uh, that will give a chance to more people to be involved. Mm -hmm. So, and that is what is happening. So you see that uh, uh, there are more companies involved than in Jakarta than uh, we ever had. Yeah, this is a re re reasonable decision, but you know, there's it's always hard in a large company you need to to pull something off. You know, so there was some there was some spark who ignited you know, the idea. So this is the idea is always interesting. It, 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 yeah, it, it's hard and it's, it's expensive. Open sourcing yeah. Uh, yeah. such, uh, such a, a platform, uh, it's not something uh, trivial. You don't do that overnight. There are a lot of mm -hmm. things to be done uh, before you can actually open source uh, the code. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't realize that. No, I can imagine. It's uh, crazy. You know, uh, uh, the IP issues or whatever, and this was not about Oracle, it's uh, uh, about the other companies who actually contributed code and they are no more existing and you have, yeah, this is just, you know, crazy stuff. Lots of plumbing. And then once it's open source, there are also a lot of plumbings that needs to be done on the other side. So in this case, on the Eclipse Foundation side, and that's basically what what we had some kind of pose uh, with, well, during the transition, not, not a lot of technical innovation has been uh, done, but now, uh, well, now everything is done. I mean, the namespace mm -hmm. is transition, uh, everything is running on the Eclipse side. So it's really now that we will see uh, technical progress being made. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, uh, that's something that we, we had to go through. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a bit painful, but yeah, it's, now it's behind us. So things can, 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 can evolve. But you, now you're no more involved in Jakarta anymore, right? No, so now... I, I'm, I'm looking at what is happening, but I'm not involved on a daily okay. basis. So, so I'll say yep. for Jay, what happened? You, you, you switched the departments. Yeah, so I wanted to have uh, to change my mind because it was, okay. uh, well, you know, a lot of things. So I wanted to change my mind. So I, I went to the serverless organization, so the Oracle serverless organization. Okay. With the idea uh, that uh, I know Java a lot, but ah, I would have mm -hmm. a chance to work with other language. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did a bit of Go, I did a bit of Python, a lot of uh, infrastructure things, uh, Docker's and so on. But at the end of the day, I realized that I was uh, doing mostly Java. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by the way, we met again because uh, at the beginning, I, uh, I was really excited about FN project. 
and I think you are somehow, you know, in charge of the FN project, which is still alive, but it seems not to be that active anymore, right? So on GitHub, there is not a lot of commits. It, it's still alive, and it's the it's the it's it's used under the hood for Oracle functions. Okay. So yeah, it's it's still alive. Uh, the Oracle, so the Oracle serverless uh, offering, commercial offering, is based on FN. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I was involved in that. So I was doing a community slash devrel stuff for um, for that. But I realized that I was doing mostly Java. Okay. So I said, okay, <laughs> it was a nice refresh, but let's go back to uh, Java full time. And okay. I I joined that uh, two years ago. That organization, that uh, that newly devrel organization that has been created in the Java Platform Group. And this is okay. So you are part of Java Platform Group, right? Yes, okay. and it's quite it's quite unique. So we have a DevRel organization in the Java Platform Group. So that means that the engineering organization that is driving uh, Java and uh, OpenGDK has its own DevRel group. Most of the time, when you see a DevRel organization, it's under a marketing department. This is not okay. the case. We are in the uh, engineer, engineering organization, and this gives us a lot of ability. Uh, I mean, we are really our colleagues are basically the people who are making uh, Java and OpenGDK. So the dream, dream job for you, right? So the dream came true, actually. You are working with the people who created Java at the beginning of your career, right? Yeah, exactly. And that gives us the ability to do things such as, for example, the Inside Java podcast. Which is great. So uh, I really, this is like, you know, what I told you, the spirit of Java One Inside a podcast. Yeah. So yeah, and so yeah, it's, it's really the, the place to be if you want to do uh, DevRel stuff uh, for Java, I believe. And what is your your tasks or job right now, except the podcast? So, are you, are you a DevRel? Are you a developer? Are you an engineer? What's what what are you doing right now? So, my job. Uh, I, so, I'm a DevRel. Uh, my job is basically to travel the world and to speak to conference. Ah, very <laughs> so good. It's, so, it's a tough job right now. So, stay stay at home and and you know yeah. use your camera properly, right? Yeah. Which is, I, I mean, it's let's face it, it's not the same to do a conference remotely. But yeah, I, I keep doing conference remotely. Okay, and what topics you are covering? Java, Java OpenGDK, so really uh, Java IC, the core platform. Uh, so, like uh, you know, basic stuff like how to use streams or what what your uh, what's your topics mm, usually? It really depends on the audience. Uh, I'm trying to uh, talk more about uh, the what we have uh, today. So Java 15, uh, talking uh-huh. also about what is coming, Java 16, instead of focusing, focusing uh, on stuff that we have seen years. Having said that, uh, we are working on multiple uh, aspects. So um, so given that we didn't have the, uh, well, the ability or the chance to travel, uh, we basically had to change a little bit how we were working. Uh, we were reaching out. So uh, that's, that is why, and we also had more time because when you travel, uh, well, you spend yeah. a lot of times, uh, planes, hotel, taxis, and so on, jet lag. So we had more time. So one of the things that we did was inside Java first. So uh, around Java 15 in September, uh, we launched this uh, site where basically people have the ability to track more closely uh, what is happening uh, around the OpenGDK slash Java space. Mm-hmm. That that is one of the complaints. Uh, so everything is open. So if you want to follow what is happening uh, around the development of Java, just follow the OpenGDK mailing list. So this is inside Java. This is like Java soft page is back, right? <laughs> Reincarnation well, of the yeah. I, At the I beginning was where stuff happened. Really, Java soft page. You you had you know go into it. You saw the news. You could you could uh, log in. You know to the news about Java. There was like a, this was like you know the where stuff happened was Java soft at the very yeah, very beginning. Y- yeah, you're right. But uh, the, so so as I said, follow the OpenGDK mailing list. There is only two issues. Uh, there are a lot of mailing lists, yeah. and each mailing list uh, there's a huge volumes. So if you look at Hamburg, for example, there's, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe 25 mails a day. So there is no way you can uh, track everything uh, that is happening. So that was the idea with Inside Java. So we would just extract uh, key information from uh, those mailing lists or also from conference because a lot of uh, GPG engineers are talking to conference. So we want to make sure that whenever they give an update, well, uh, the community is aware of that. So. That's the one place to go if you want to know uh, what what is happening around Java and OpenGDK. Yeah, so we, what a little bit better than Java.net was, right? It was also a common portal to Java happenings, something like this. Yeah, yes, because we have one single focus that is Java. Java I mean, the Java IC platform. So we okay. are not J- really Java talking... IC platform, nothing else. Yes. Okay, oh, oh, yes. uh, that even better. So very focused Java. Yes. Like Java.net just for Java IC. Yeah, yeah. 
having said that, if there are if there are there might be uh, occasion where we talk a, a bit more uh, broadly. Uh, for example, no, no, I don't know. I, I understood. It's, yeah, great. This is actually a great service to the community because uh, with the open JDK is really hard to track. You know, there's too yep. much going on. There's a, you know, adopt a JDK, open JDK, then there is, you know, the java.jdk.net or jdk.java.net, you know, there are too many. And if I have to download new JDK, I always forget what to do. So I go through all the all the sites and then at the end I know what to do, but uh, this is a, it's a great idea. There is a tip, just go to open JDK and then download it yeah. from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Perfect. So uh, you're basically building, you know, you're improving the, how to call it, the community experience, how to consume yep. Java, right? Yep. How Very to good. consume and how to understand Java. Yep. Yeah. And people should also follow your Twitter because from time to time you are tweeting your interesting jabs. So what I found uh, is also uh, nice. Okay. So perfect. So I would say, so great for introduction. What I really would like to do is to, to reinvite you back in a couple of weeks and talk exclusively about Java features. Okay. This is what uh, this is. I would really love to because um, yeah, because, you know, what's your favorite features of just you know freestyle chat about Java SE only, and uh, now finally after 10, 10 years, I know <laughs> who you are actually, right? <laughs> With the <laughs> podcast, perfect. So where people can find you on Twitter and you know all the all the links you have for us. So all the links. So on Twitter, it's pretty easy. De la Bassi, double S double E. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I would just say uh, inside.java. So that's the actual mm -hmm. URL. So HTTPS mm -hmm. uh, slash slash inside.java mm -hmm. uh, or inside.java slash podcast. Perfect. So I'm posting that, post that podcast and uh, th that would be the main links. Okay. Thank you a lot. You're welcome. <laughs>